0: Okay, good morning and welcome to podcast episode number five for Woman on Fire podcast. And we've got a special episode today. It's our first interview. Well, it's not really an interview. It's more an epic mom sharing her story. (laughs) But we have a guest for the first time. So you'll hear a voice other than mine and Jamie's. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we'd
1: like to welcome her. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, and you can kind of dive right in as you want.
2: Sure, sure. So my name is Caitlin, and I um, I I live here on the island of Oahu with these two crazy ladies, and um, so I came to know. Jamie and Daniela through, um, the birth of our last kiddo. She's almost 15 months old now, which is just pure insanity. But, um, so Jamie was my midwife and Daniela was there assisting. She was the doula. She was helping. She ended up being the, the one to help deliver the baby. So that was pretty cool. But, um, yeah
1: that's that's me that's awesome that's awesome (laughs) and um would you like to like kind of share how you came to home birth or how you came sort of like your stories of motherhood or you know like talk a little bit about your journey to to where you're at your many experiences and your um and and how you've come to raise your little tribe together here on Oahu and <laughs> the community you've built around it.
2: and Yeah, I would love to. So um, I will start with um, the beginning. So my husband and I, um, we unfortunately went through quite a struggle trying to get pregnant, and stay pregnant. We had um, four miscarriages at 15 weeks, eight weeks, seven weeks, and 12 weeks. And then we got pregnant with our daughter that would become Maya. Um, and, man, it was, it was quite quite the ride of in the beginning trying to even stay positive or like imagine what it would be like to actually hold this baby when, we, um, when we'd when we been through four times of not ever getting to. So I, I don't even remember when it was, probably like 20 weeks when we went for our anatomy scan that it was finally like, yep, nope that's a baby and I think we might actually like get to the point of getting to have this baby be with us and spend time with us so I was I just remember after our anatomy scan both of us being like oh my goodness like that that's a like that's a viable baby like we're we're doing it
1: that's so exciting
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, especially, like, I mean, the anatomy scan, they tell you, like, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. So, it just, it, I think that, like, released so much for us. But, um, so, I'll go on to Maya's birth, because it was quite the wild ride. But, um, so, Maya, it was, oh, its like, 41 And three days I was, and my mother-in-law was leaving in two days from, from that day. And we just decided that like, okay, she's not coming. We need to get her out. So we went in for an induction and that was at like, it started at like 6am on the induction. And I spent a few hours trying to, um, check everything and do everything. And they gave me, they inserted Cytotech inside of me and it was automatically like zero to 100 so quick. It, in 15 minutes, I went from no contractions to minute long contractions with one minute break. Just automatically.
1: So it's crazy.
2: It was pure insanity. And the um, anesthesiologist had come in like before and she goes, Okay, you just let me know whenever you want your epidural. And I was like, I'm not getting an epidural. Do not like please don't try to pressure me. Like, I'm not doing I'm not doing it. So I was I was not doing it. <laughs> so we got um We went for like two or three hours of those contractions, and they came in to do a check for me, and I was just open enough that they thought that they they could put the folly bulb in. So they ended up spending over two hours trying to get this bulb in, and then filled with the saline solution. Oh, while I was oh, while still. having those surges
1: every minute, yes. every other minute. Oh my goodness! Yes,
2: ma'am. Yes, and like two hours of someone messing with your cervix is not okay. I wish I wish I could go back and talk to Caitlin from back then and just be like, just stop, just stop the whole thing. But it it is what it is. So um, they finally got the bulb in. And then I was still able to walk around with it in. So I was walking around and bouncing on the ball. And they were doing, um, they were testing a new monitor on me so that I was having nonstop continual monitoring, but I could still walk around and do all of the things, um, which I'm so grateful for because I could have just been strapped to the bed. Um, So at 12 hours in, with the bulb in, I went to the bathroom and I pulled the bulb out I just yanked on it a little bit and it came out. And at the same time, my water broke and there was meconium in my water. It was green. It smelled. There was meconium in my water. Unfortunately though, when I told the doctors and nurses that there was nobody took me seriously and they were like well we don't really think that there was so your water broke and that's fine we'll just continue doing what we're doing so um they let me eat a little bit of food because I was at three centimeters and it had been over 12 hours since I'd eaten at that point so we just continued, they decided that since my contractions were still that close together and still going, that they couldn't do another side attack. So they started the Pitocin drip then at 12 hours. And it was just, from then on, it was just more walking, more bouncing, more just trying to get through all of the contractions and hopefully bring the baby down. So they did another check at 24 hours in and I was still at three centimeters. So they upped my Pitocin as high as it would go and just told me to keep doing what we were doing. So another 12 hours went by, still no baby, still hungry still all of it and I was still at three centimeters and at 36 hours in after they told me that I was still at three centimeters I just I I broke down and I was like I don't know what we're doing like this is not working I I'm so tired I um decided to go ahead and get the epidural then I something in my brain was just like this is not Going where it's supposed to be going, like just just get the epidural. So after I had my epidural, I was able to, like, sleep, which was so 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 nice. But um, while I was sleeping, they started noticing that baby was decelling. Her her heart was not doing what it was supposed to. So they had me switch sides, switch sides, switch sides, and then they noticed that I had a fever. And then they noticed that I was getting too lethargic. So I I think it was like, you have to have like three strikes of this list of like being sick before they're like, oh no, you have to have a C-section. So at 48 hours in, still at three centimeters, I had enough checks to go in for um, an emergency C-section. So they took me in and you have to go in like by yourself for the first few minutes while they start doing all of the things. So there I am just like laying on the table and they're, they're not giving me any updates. They're not doing anything. And then all of a sudden they're like cutting, cutting you open and you can't really feel anything except that like they're there doing these things. So it was, pretty crazy. So then somebody left and went to get Robert. And the fourth thing, he walked in the room and my guts were like in a bowl. And he like saw my intestines sitting in this bowl. He walked over to me and he goes, Oh my goodness. Like this is happening. And I was like, "Yep, Here for it. (laughs) That's
1: intense. That's intense.
2: Here for it. So they, um, they get baby out and they they rush baby over to the pediatric station in the room and as soon as they pulled baby out and like took baby over there i started to get nauseous so the anesthesiologist gave me um gave me stuff to like calm my stomach and make sure that i wasn't going to throw up on the table so that all, that all kind of like made me a little bit loopy, sitting, laying there. But after five minutes, I was like, is something wrong? Like, I don't hear the baby crying. And they were like, oh, well, they're trying to get baby to breathe. And I, I'm like laying there looking at Robert, and I'm like, it's been five minutes. And they like, didn't even give us any information. Well, thankfully, right after I said something, baby started crying. Baby was breathing. So she felt your
1: pull. Oh, she felt no. your pull. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which, and like maybe had I not been loopy, she might have been able to hear my voice before that. But she did. She did. So they get baby breathing, and then they call my husband over there to like hold her for a minute while they're wrapping and cleaning and doing all of the things. So then they put, her on the, they put her on the cart and they wheel her past. And this nurse looks at me and he goes, here's your baby boy. And you can see him real fast before we take him to the NICU. And then they... What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So my loopy self sitting there, I guarantee it was like another five minutes. And I was like, did he just tell me? Did he just tell me that this baby was a boy? Like, did I? Like, is it a boy? Do we not? And they were like, no, honey, it's a girl. I don't know why he said boy. (laughs) 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 So then they close me up and they do their count and they make sure they've got all of their things and then they um they they roll me over on my side and they take my epidural out and they're like we're just going to take your epidural out on the table it's just what we do you've got like 30 minutes and by then you'll be in the recovery room and you'll have your morphine drip and everything will be good so they take it out and they switch me beds and get me back to the recovery room. And, um, everything's just whirling around me. Everybody's doing all of these things. And it just happened. Like my C-section happened in the middle of shift change. So then there was like the people who were with me before there and the new people who like were trying to like take over. So it was just a bunch of insanity.
1: That Um, sounds like a lot of people. (laughs)
2: I and it's a teaching it was a teaching hospital.
1: So like well, where's your baby?
2: <laughs> the NICU. She's Aww. in the NICU. She's in the NICU with my husband and get she's getting an IV and antibiotics because lo and behold, I had meconium and it had been 36 hours since my water had broken with meconium. That's why it took them five minutes to get her to breathe because she had meconium in her lungs. like We were both super sick, it wasn't okay. So I lay there for like two hours. Now they did not order me pain medicine. So after about 30 minutes, that epidural wore off. So I had already been like an hour and a half past my past any pain medicine with a fever from the meconium and a c-section like my abdomen was completely ripped open and a baby removed so they finally bring Maya back in and she goes to nurse and like I've got people all over the place like making sure my uterus is planting down like pushing on my uterus let alone like a new baby nursing that does that already and then like the pain of never nursing before and then no pain medicine and a fever I was laying there just completely naked because I was sweating to death and Maya got to nurse for like 15 or 20 minutes and as soon as she fell asleep I'm sitting there bawling and I I was like Robert you you have to take her I I I'm I'm not okay. She's just making me hotter. I, it hurts. Like, just, just, just take her. So then I'm crying because I, like, just asked my husband to get rid of this baby that I'm supposed to be, like, loving, but I can't because I'm just physically not okay. So, and then they finally took me to mother-baby unit. And my morphine drip was there waiting for me. Finally. <laughs> Man. How long
0: after the surgery did you finally get the morphine drip? Because I just want to highlight for people, like that was major abdominal surgery. <laughs> yeah. So right. it's totally it, that, understandable it was that you wanted someone else to take baby. Okay, four yeah, hours. Yeah,
2: like wow. over four hours. Just like pure insanity like
0: Mm, totally over four hours
2: and then I had like I had the fever because we there was meconium like I was so sick and then they like I'm allergic to a couple of antibiotics and then I'm nursing so then they have to like figure out which antibiotics I can even take because of all of that. So it was just so much insanity in those first several hours and i was so sick that we ended up staying in mother baby unit for eight days like maya was completely fine she got that first round of antibiotics and they never even had to like look at her give her another thing do anything for her but i spent eight days in the mother baby unit after that so
1: wow you took the hit for her
2: (laughs) thank goodness because i don't know what i would have ever done with had like they would have really, really had some hellacious Caitlin on their hands had I had like she been the sick one and not me. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have been good for them. Well certainly but it wouldn't have been right, good. Right, so right. But after oh, eight man. Days, yeah. <laughs> So after eight days I was finally able to go home and my mom ended up flying in helping us. And And how was,
1: how was breastfeeding? Did you have support in the hospital for breastfeeding or was she like discharged and Um, then you had to stay or what did that look like?
2: Oh, okay. So no, we had amazing breastfeeding support in the hospital. Like the lactation consultants came, um, several times because the first time that they came, and they were, like, observing baby and just asking if I had any questions or anything. So they came, and it was great. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to go get some stuff for you, and we'll be back in, like, 30 minutes. Well, these ladies came back and informed me that I have what is called um, hyperplasia, insufficient glandular tissue. and somewhere during puberty, I just did not grow um, glandular tissue, milk making tissue. And they were like, it's very, very highly unlikely that you will be able to give her everything that she needs. And we have Kate these Lane. tools for you and we want you to pump. Yeah.
0: Quick question. Can you share with us yeah. how they determined this? You know, how was it done? Oh yeah. yeah.
2: So I still to this day don't have like any tissue on the underside of my breast. Um, like the tops are full now after three kids, but the bottoms there's still like no tissue on the under half of my breast and then um they're kind of an odd color like an odd like purpley color and um another sign is that you have um gosh, stretch marks when like big very noticeable stretch marks when you didn't see any breast tissue changes while pregnant. So, like, I got the stretch marks, but I never got the, like, bigger boobs that most people would get. Um, so they said that those are all signs that point towards the IGT is what, what they
1: call it. Hmm. But were they still, so, so you, you were saying that they were encouraging you to pump and and nurse quite a yes. bit is so that where you were leading yes
2: yes they wanted me to nurse as often as she wanted to like to establish a milk supply and then as soon as she was done nursing if i could pass her off to robert then um they wanted me to pump with the hospital pump after she was done to to bring in eat, like as much milk as my tissue could. So I was able to breastfeed her exclusively until I think she was like 10 days old is I'm pretty sure that's how it's been five years, but I'm pretty sure it was like 10 days old. Um, And then at that point we were doing the weighted feeds and they were like, she's, she was back up to her birth weight and then she was going back down from her. From her birth weight and they were like she's only transferring like 10 milliliters per feed they were like it's it's time to supplement her so they gave me some like formula samples to try and all of a sudden my breastfeeding dreams were like flushed down the toilet and I had a 10-day-old baby, and we were breastfeeding and then giving her formula, and then I was pumping after she was done nursing. So we played that game for, like, a month, and she, in that month period, we had to, like, help her help her poop because the formula was constipating her so we um we had to do it like twice it had been like seven days since she had pooped twice and somebody was like caitlin i really think that you need to try donor breast milk and i was like i don't know that's that's Really weird, like giving your baby someone else's milk is like super weird. How do I even know if I can like trust these people? Like, how do you how do you do that? So I ended up having a friend who was an overproducer of milk. So she she gave me some to try, and within That's so two, great. <laughs> I know, I know. Within two bottles of it, she had pooped. And it had been like seven days since she had pooped, and I was like, "Okay, well, this is obviously what we need to do for her." So we continued. She continued to nurse, and then she would take the donor milk, and then I would pump, and we we did that for for like a year. I would pump every two hours, whether whether she was awake or not, like day and night. I would do it. And I would get an I would get an ounce of milk a day, like total. We're talking like five milliliters per twenty minute pumping session.
1: Wow, you're so you're,
2: dedicated. Oh my gosh. No. No, no. It wasn't dedication. It was like completely like fear of just being a terrible mom. Like
1: Oh yes, the that mother guilt. Was,
2: that was that was all that fueled me. Finally, finally, Robert was like, "Caitlin, Caitlin, please, please just stop," because I would just sit at the pump and just like cry while I smelled her clothes to like make milk come out. <laughs> it was it was pretty crazy. So. Once I stopped and she, Maya continued to have donor breast milk at her, like, she was taking like 35 ounces of donor breast milk a day until she was two, until she was two. So she was very, very well taken care of. We were so blessed.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Is that all by the same um, donor? No, I was
2: going anywhere and everywhere like within two hours from where we lived in Washington to go get milk from her. We had a lot of like repeat donors. And then we had a lot of like one time donors. We had a whole freezer an extra freezer in our house dedicated to Maya's milk. It's like, 35 ounces of milk a day is a ton of milk. Like we, somebody, milk for her wasn't a very good idea that we needed to get it, like can donate it to the donor milk bank. But they pasteurize the milk first at the donor bank so they heat it. So it loses some of the health benefits once it's heated like that, and I know why they do it to keep everybody safe, but it it just didn't seem right for us, let alone the fact that with her taking 35 ounces, it would have cost us like $1,500 a month to pay to get the milk from the donor bank. And that just is not, that was more than we were paying to live in our house.
1: Yeah, that's that's quite a bit of money <laughs> to
2: set aside. Yeah. So, we were just so blessed with all of the different moms that were able to help us out and get her to 2 years of doing that.
1: Wow, that's really great. And 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 then somewhere along the lines, someone decided they wanted to to join Maya in your family. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So when Maya was a year old,
2: and I stopped pumping, I was like, "Okay, we have to have another one." And Robert was like, "Okay, we can have another one." As you're driving
1: around collecting milk, (laughs) I love it. I love it.
2: So, um, after after everything that happened with Maya's birth, I found this page in Washington. I don't remember the exact name, but it was something like VBACs of Tacoma, which is where we lived in Washington. And it was just this group of moms and midwives and doulas supporting moms who wanted to have VBACs for moms who were like trying to deal with their cesarean, cesarean story and like, helping you move past it or like helping you just be okay inside with it. Um, That's great. Yes. I'm so fortunate that we had this, had this group. So um, all of the moms were like, if you want to have a V back, you need to go to this hospital with these midwives. Like if you want to do it in the hospital, go to this hospital with these midwives. So we did. I've switched our insurance so that we could go to that hospital, and I went to my first appointment, and this midwife shut me down. She was like, "Just so you know, only half of the people who want to have a VBAC have a VBAC, and you're, overweight. wow, yeah. So you're overweight, and that like." Lessens your chance even more. Like, just don't get your hopes up. Is all I'm trying. <sighs> to, is what this lady told me, and I was like, I don't like your attitude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What? You? What? Well,
0: hey, so thank goodness this- for her transparency and <sighs> uh, where she stands yes. and how she sees things. And she didn't try to yeah. sugarcoat and pretend to be something else than what she really.
2: I'm- I know, but, like, I don't know. Can you – oh, man. like
1: <laughs> A thread of hope? A thread?
2: <laughs> I know. I know. So, yeah. So after she laid all that out, um, she then was like, um, so why don't you – we're going to do an internal check. So I'm going to leave the room, and since the nurse has to come in anyways for the internal check, I'm just going to have her, like, bring your flu shot. And I was like, um, I, I don't want a flu shot. And she was like, well, you have to get a flu shot. Like the baby, the baby will die if you like get the flu. And I was like, well, no, 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 the baby won't like, no. And she was like, yeah, you, you like have to get it. Why don't you want it? And I was like, well, it's, it's never been tested on pregnant women before. And she was like, well, it can't be tested on pregnant women. That would just be unethical. And I was like, exactly. So I'm not going to get the it. Point. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I'm not going to get it. And so she was like, okay, well, whatever. I'll just have her bring it in and we can talk about it in a little bit. And I was like, why don't you just bring me the like insert and I'll show you what I mean. She was like, well, we can't give those out. And I was like, well, yeah, you can. That's why they're there. And she was like, okay, I'll, I'll ask the nurse about it. So she leaves the Well, how the can room. you make
1: a true informed choice if they're not allowed, if they can't give you the documentation
2: that right. comes with
1: the medicine?
2: Right. Like this is all my whole point. So she leaves the room and she is, I can hear her outside of the door. And at this point I was, I had like unbuttoned my pants and was going to like, just do the process. And I hear her talking to her nurse and she goes, it should be illegal for anyone to refuse a vaccine, let alone a pregnant woman. Like it should be illegal. And at that point I lit on. Fire! I was like, "What?" And I told I told Robert what I heard, and I like buttoned my pants back up, and I was grabbing my things, and she like knocked, and I was like, "You can come in." <laughs> so she came in, and I still I had all my clothes on, and I like had all of our things ready to go, and she was like, um, "What's happening?" And I was like, "I will never come back here again. I will never come back here again." And she was like, um Okay, and we grabbed Maya and Robert and I left, left, and that night I got on that page and I was like, "Who do I need to look for to find a home birth midwife that will do a VBAC? Can they even do that? Is that like okay?" So everyone recommended this one midwife, so I reached out to her and we had like an. Like a just come and ask me questions kind of interview with her, and it turns out that like eighty percent of her clients every year are home birth VBACs, and I was like, "Well, this is absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect." So that we, that's great. That's great. Yes. What a find. Yeah. So we um, we ended up doing all of our prenatal care with her and everything was just great like she she still offered all of the blood work and everything and the anatomy scan and everything so we were still able to do everything that we felt was right for that pregnancy like she even still did the glucose test but greatly she did the glucose test without the food coloring and all of the extra stuff in the normal drink that you would get like from the doctor's office when you do it which I thought was just like I was over the moon I was like this is like a crunchy midwife this is all I (laughs) all I could ever ask for so we it was everything was just great and um at 41 weeks we started playing the game of like okay At 42 weeks in the state of Washington, your midwife can no longer attend your birth. So you either have to go unassisted at 42 weeks or you have to go in for a C-section. Like those are your only two options. They won't even induce you? No, you cannot induce a v-back in the state of washington now this was three years ago i can't speak for the rules now but you could not induce wow a v-back in the state of washington they said it increased your chance of uterine rupture whether now whatever that means whether it's like you have a one percent chance if you don't induce and you have a two percent chance if you do i don't know i don't right but they would they they won't do it so wow We started playing the game of like, okay, well, he's got like seven days to come or I have to go back in for another C-section. Because at that point we didn't feel comfortable like making the unassisted decision. So, and she was, my midwife was also a naturopath. So she like, we started doing the black and blue cohosh, and then we started doing the black and blue cohosh homeopathics, and then she was having us do, like, nipple simulation and all of these different things to try and get baby to come. I was, and at that point, I was working out so much, like, I was like, if this sprint, if I can just sprint and get the baby to come, I'll just sprint and get the baby to come. If I can do burpees... And convince him to come, I'll do burpees. Like, we'll, I'll do anything I can just to make sure that he's, he's gonna come like he's supposed to. Um, so obviously nothing, nothing did it. He wasn't ready. So um, the night before midnight, I would have turned 42 weeks. We decided that our last dish effort would be to do castor oil. And we did castor oil, and I made a milkshake with it, and I drank the milkshake, and then I started pooping, and then I was very uncomfortable, but it did it. He, it was time. He was coming. Everything was good. So labor, like, progressed all on its own, and the doula showed up, and then the midwife showed up, and we were just doing the actions like we got Maya to sleep and then I just labored through through the night and um just everything was gentle and chill like I would go through a surge and then I would tell somebody a joke and it was just it was just so much different than I'd ever experienced with Maya and it was we were at home I was in my living room or I was in my room and everything was just so chill so we we finally decided they were like okay it kind of seems like you're getting pretty close to like transition the pool might be a good change of pace for you so I got in the pool and I went through some pretty strong surges and then all of a sudden I was asleep And I would wake up every like few minutes and have another surge. But finally the midwife came in and she was like, okay, sweetie, like, we're not really sure what happened, but we think it might be time to get, time to get out of the pool. We need to, we need to assess, assess the situation. So I got out of the pool and the moment I like stepped out everything like picked right back up it was like once I was standing and had to like open my legs to get out of the pool I was like oh okay like there they are so I walked I walked like six feet into the bathroom and at this point I'm like holding onto the wall like squatting with each contraction and I was like I think it's time to push like I think that that's what my body is telling me. And the midwives were like, okay, you think it's time to push? Let's just like, are you comfortable here? Or would you rather like walk over to the bed? And I was like, I think I want to go to the bed. So we walked over to the bed and they were like, um, we're just going to like, check while you get comfortable. Like, not going to touch anything. Just like see, see what we can see. And she was like, oh, there's a head. And she's like, oh, there's a head. And I was like, oh, here's a contraction and I'm pushing the baby out right now. <laughs> she's like, slow down. Yay! <laughs> <gasps> I was, my oh. entire body at this point, like fur had started to kick in and like he was coming like there was no stopping it my entire body was pushing and they were like everybody's in the room like Caitlin slow down you're gonna like rip into to end like just slow down <laughs> breathe so I like I took a breath and as the next contraction came I just like I didn't stop anything from happening but I just focused on my breath and then there he was like I didn't have to like There was no movie scene like, ooh, push the baby out. That's not at all what happened once I just like was breathing. He just like. So beautiful. He just came out. So he came out and they passed him up to my chest and I was like laying there, just pure euphoric state as it should be just chill. Robert's in bed next to me, like watching me watch the baby. And I, I look over at him and I was like, we need to do this again.
0: Aww. We need to do this
2: again. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it hadn't even been five minutes since I'd had, had him. Awesome. I was like, let's do this again. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it everything was just chill and gosh okay so there was the doula the assistant midwife the midwife and then another doula so there was four people and then Robert and then the dog like never left my side in our tiny little bedroom apartment but I I can just tell you that like there was a huge difference like those those five people and a dog that I wanted to be there. That I knew those people. That I like chose those people versus the twenty people around me when
1: Maya
2: was born. That were literally just buzzing and not even like. I even though I was the full reason they were there. Dif- like so different. They the people at Knowles birth may as well just been like little flies on the wall that you could just like turn off and pretend that they don't even exist versus what we had dealt with for Maya's birth so it was just I was literally in euphoria just completely in love with the situation and the baby and everything. That's so beautiful. And I feel like that's all great. Yeah.
1: I feel like that's the description of, you know, like a true, I don't know, like a, a, a space holder, right? They're holding space for you to be in love and just fall back. It's not, it's all about you and you accepting that baby together. And so that's beautiful that they all, even though there were a lot of people there, you got you still just felt that connection to your baby and your partner and not the distraction of someone's need to be present in the room with you.
2: Right. Well, and I, I like, while I was pregnant, we were, like, dreaming of this home birth. Part of me was, like, I'm really worried that I'm going to have to, like, play host to these people. Like, oh, here's a contraction, but do you need, like, a drink of water? Have you eaten anything? Like, I was really worried that I was going... Not that anybody was putting that pressure on me, but maybe it was just me putting that pressure on me. Like I have to. You sure are the- a
1: kind hostess. <laughs> you are a kind hostess.
2: <laughs> so I, I was a little bit worried that that was maybe something that I was going to deal with, but actually, like in the moment, they they may as well have just not even been there. Like I loved that they, that they were there, but they were just like I said, like little flies on the wall. So it was. It was amazing and they cleaned everything up and then they helped me take a shower like and then they sat me down with a plate of food and then as soon as I was done with my food, they were like, okay, well, you can like go to sleep if you want or you can like do whatever you want and I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just like sleep for the next 12 years. (laughs) So we did. We just like slept with the baby in the bed just he was nursing and he spent the next 12 months just laid across my chest every single night when he slept like
1: and how just... was that nursing adventure
2: oh yeah so um we i just had made everyone aware of the situation we had no idea what it was going to look like because there is the chance that it could have been back to the one ounce of milk making a day or like what if it works you don't want to discount anything so I was taking a few herbs while I was pregnant with him to increase my chance of growing more tissue while I was pregnant and then when he came out we had a scale and I could do weighted feeds or I could weigh him every day or every other day, whatever I felt that I needed to do to make sure that we knew exactly when we needed to start donor milk or if we needed to start donor milk with him. So for the first six weeks, everything seemed like I was going to be able to nurse him exclusively until right about that six week mark, I would like look at him and I was like, he's not filling out. In fact, he's starting to kind of look like, I, I described it as like an old man. He kind of looked like an old man, the way his skin was starting to like, kind of sink in just a little bit. So we took him to the pediatrician and she was like, he has a really bad tongue tie. He wouldn't even, um, he wouldn't even suck on, her finger, which at six weeks, anything that goes in their mouth should pretty much just be sucked on. and said he would just cry. So she said he can't even raise his tongue to the roof of his mouth. So while he's sucking, he's not really like milking the milk out of you. He's kind of just like attacking you and whatever kind of comes out is just what he gets. Which oh man yeah so at that point I was like oh well that makes sense because I've had mastitis like four times by the time he was six weeks old now part of that was because I was like doing too much because there's a huge difference in how I felt because I hadn't had a c-section like I literally felt like I could just go run a marathon um so once I slowed down and like oh, Jamie, what's, what is it? Like one week in the bed.
1: Yeah. One week week around the bed.
2: bed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I didn't, I didn't like fully do that. But as soon as I slowed way back down, like let Robert take care of me, let Robert handle most of Maya stuff. Like it all started to get better with the mastitis for me. But Noel was not okay. So we got his tongue tie revised and we started using supplemental nursing system. So it ties around your neck and then there's a like bottle that holds the milk. And then there is a tube that you attach to your nipple. And while they're nursing from you, they're also getting whatever you decide to supplement with. So The only reason Maya stopped with donor milk at two years old is because that's when Noel started on donor milk. And he got as much as he wanted and he still nursed all the time. He was exclusively nursing, but it ended up evening out to about like, he got like 10 ounces a day of donor milk until he was one. Um, And then at one, we were able to, he was eating enough food and still nursing 50,000 times a day and night. So we were able to get rid of the donor milk, which I'm so grateful for because we had a little bit harder of a time trying to find donor milk here in Hawaii once we moved than we did in Washington, which... I mean, it's much smaller here in Hawaii. So that totally makes sense. But he did. He had donor milk for a year of his life. And then he went on to nurse until he was two and a half. So
1: that's so great. And that was through
2: another pregnancy. A whole entire another pregnancy.
1: And did you ever think that that, did you ever envision that that, would happen and that you would, you know, not dry up and all that? Did you, I mean, is that, you just followed no, your, your truth? I, I, I just followed it. I was like, I guess. So we,
2: I mean, we ran into a couple of problems while I was pregnant. I was, I had what? I had like a 19 or 20 month old and I was getting super pregnant. And I was like, the thought of you coming over here to sit on my lap doesn't seem comfortable, let alone the thought of you like coming over here and needing to get milk.
1: Right, and tugging um, on my breasts.
2: Right, and like (laughs) doing all of this stuff to me. And I'll never forget because um, Piper, Piper recommended like having something that was the length of time that I was okay with. And I'll never forget because we, I just started singing the ABCs. He would get the ABCs on the right side and then he would get the ABCs on the left side. And then all of a sudden he had everything he needed and I didn't have to, like, feel like I needed to hurt anyone. Like, I just focused on singing the ABCs and then gave him a hug and then he was good to go. Wow.
0: So... That's an epic loving story. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that tip yeah. with everyone. Yeah, totally. like
2: having having that tool that both of us were okay with. Like he got everything he needed. He was totally the he was totally the baby who was like, Oh my goodness, that piece of dust like flew across the floor. Mom, can you help me? Like be okay with this, so he would get his milk, and we would sing the ABCs on both sides, and then he was okay, and then we would wait for the next piece of dust to fly across the floor mm-hmm. five minutes later, so I'm so thankful that we had, that we had that tool, because being, being pregnant again, and, like, knowing that we would have to go through it again, like, that tool really, really helped both yeah. of us,
0: and really, can really we- helped. Could we harp a little bit more on this nursing while you're pregnant? Because I know that's something that a lot of people are often kind of concerned about and receive conflicting information on, and they're not sure if it's okay or safe or not. And I mean, you also have, you know, a history of experiencing miscarriages. So that's another factor that people get concerned about. So can you speak to your experience navigating that if you had any thoughts or concerns and how you worked through them?
2: Yeah, so I think I remember talking to at this point. So at this point I was pregnant with our third kiddo and Jamie was our midwife and doing appointments for us. So I remember asking Jamie like I know that this is okay, but is there anything that I need to like know about being pregnant and nursing? And we just kind of had like an open conversation about it. At this point like I really knew that it was okay. I I had read enough and known enough and investigated enough that i i knew that it was okay and that it was normal like it was possible to have everything just be normal with that happening so we had an open conversation about like what we had heard or what a doctor like an ob would tell you about it and what they would recommend and most of the time that they would recommend that you like don't do it because it can It could cause contractions or it could, like, intervene with the pregnancy. And I, we just made the informed decision that we would just play it by ear. He needed milk and he needed more than milk. He needed that comfort and everything that nursing from me brought. But we also needed another baby. So we just played it by ear. And then there was a few times that I would, I would have like contractions. I like, I think it was like 27 weeks and I was having like pretty prominent Braxton Hicks contractions. And I would call Jamie and I would be like, just so you know, like this is happening. And we would walk through like, have you had enough water? Like has Noel nursed in a little bit or t- is he nursing extra? Like what's, what's, going on with you but also like to you and around you and we would just like okay no I don't think I've had enough water actually yeah Noel just nursed so maybe we just seem to take a break for a little bit and just make sure that everything is okay and for a little bit I mean like Maybe he needs to wait like an hour or two to to nurse again so that we can get this, get these brought back down just to be not noticeable. Like, so everything was just, was just okay. We were just following my own intuition. Yeah. It's all about listening,
1: listening to your body and making sure you're extra well nourished, growing two people and also trying to just maintain yourself and- Right, chase and chase another little one around on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Who is an amazing little, like bright spirited (laughs) child. So it's yeah. So really, a lot of it, you know, balancing and trying to make sure that you're tuned in, that you get to also listen to your body while managing all these other little busy bodies. Because you were also home alone quite a bit. Yes, during your third pregnancy. Yes. I don't think we
2: mentioned this, but Robert is in the army. So it's, there's a whole lot of like here today, gone tomorrow, like, oh, uh, just so you know, we're leaving in like 24 hours to be gone for a month. Um, And I may or
1: may not be able to talk to you. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So there was a whole lot of that while we were pregnant with Cedar. So a whole lot of that. So, but with Cedars, was, Daniel, was there anything else that you wanted me to talk about with the nursing or any of that before I jump into Cedars' story?
0: Um, No, that was really it. Thank you for sharing it. I just, yeah, yeah, I just want people to know, right, this isn't just like, okay, well, advice for everyone to do it this Mm -hmm. way. It's just you sharing what made sense for you and how you played it circumstantially, moment. Moment and how things you know, different things that you learned, but ultimately highlighting that you were just listening to your own voice, your own internal guidance as you, you know, talked to other people and heard other people's insights and perspectives and experiences too, and integrated it with your own sense of self and awareness. And, um, and that's what I love about your story here is you know, you tapped into yourself, um, ultimately, right? So, right mm
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's right, for things. like the first time like and I think' ever. even
0: trusting that
1: you're you could nurse him right after yes. the first experience and the ups and downs with that, but trusting that you know that it was worth giving it another go round, you know right yeah so.
2: I, I at that point, I was so lucky when we got pregnant with Noel that i. It was obviously hard what we went through, like with Maya coming into the world and then not being able to nurse Maya. Like all of that was hard. And I'm not saying that I was healed or that I'm even healed from it today, but there had been a huge amount of growing from it. And even just like, I remember being super pregnant with Noel and I was like, Noel is going to have this amazing, like it's going to happen. I'm going to have this home birth and everything's going to... Like just be the way that I picture it and it's all going to be good. And then I had this like huge mental breakdown. I called my friend and I was like, I I feel so bad that Maya didn't get this. Like didn't get what Noel is about to have. So there there was just like I had to feel it and I had to I had to like move through it and I had to grow from it and do it. Yeah. yeah so
1: so great
2: but just being surrounded by the women that I was in Washington like I could sit there giving Maya her bottle of donor milk with all of these moms around me breastfeeding or bottle feeding or doing whatever they were doing and I could be like we all love our babies we all connect with our babies on our own way like I need to try and nurse again. Because even if we just use the SNS and he gets one ounce of milk from me and 30 ounces from the SNS, at least he's getting that connection and will feel right in the beginning. And if we need to change it, we need to change it. So I'm just so thankful that we were surrounded by the people that we were.
1: Yeah, that's so, that- so great, and I think that we maybe you, we even touched on it. Of you know, like it's 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 more than just breastfeeding too. It's like this whole connection, and so, you know, I've been able to support any amount of breastfeeding is good, and even if you're not really even producing much milk at all, it's or you know, I've had women who've had surgeries and things and have not actually been able to produce anything significant in the in as far as breast milk, but I've seen them comfort their babies. And just that, that other kind of connection, um, oh. was really, you know, there's something to that. It's not, it's not just about feeding. And so I think that that's important to sort of, you know, touch on as well for those who don't feel like they have a lot of supply and they just want to throw in the towel, you know, like combined methods work. On so many levels, not just feeding, but spiritual and emotional, and and safety and all of that. So,
2: right, all right. It, it it really is because, like I said, like Noel, <laughs> Noel needed needed to come back to some place that he felt safe after this piece of dust would like fly across the floor, and then he would be okay, and then. Maybe Maya would take his toy or Maya would fall down and there would be a loud noise and he would like just need to come back to somewhere that he knew was safe, like just over and over and over again. And it could have very easily turned into like, oh my goodness, he's just nursing like 60 times a day and night and I, I don't know what to do. But for me, like knowing that it was way more than just getting milk at that point it was literally somewhere that he felt safe so that he could process what was going on around him and what was happening to him was just huge like that knowledge for me was so much power to be able to make the decisions about my own body too
1: like, yeah <laughs> awesome and then we should yeah segue into the little woman who brought us all together